Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Thanks, team. Amen. I could just probably sit there and sing that for about another 10 minutes. How about you guys? Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, good morning. Uh, welcome to you as North family, and welcome to our guest. If you're a guest today, we're so glad that you're here and you chose to spend your time with us this morning. Uh, before I dive into the teaching time, some of you saw some white cards floating around these tables. I just want to remind you of something we kicked off uh, last week. Last week, I taught on the biblical practice of fasting. Thank you, Aaron. And uh, what that looks like. And then I gave our church a challenge, a 40-day fasting challenge. And if you're a guest, that's when you go, this is not the church for me. Um, I'm out. No, but um, I talked about the value of fasting and praying together and then having a prayer target that you are kind of aiming, targeting your fasting toward, that when you feel hungry while fasting, uh, you start to pray for those targets. And our target as a church is that people would come to faith in Christ over a 40-day period uh, leading up to and involving the weekend of Easter. And so uh, I, I challenge you to say, choose a fast if you're choosing. Some of you would choose a meal a day, maybe you'd choose a, a period of time or, or certain days of the week. However it looks for you, we just said, would you commit to fasting? And then we invited you to take one of these cards. There's cards around the tables. And so some of you weren't here last week or maybe you didn't get a chance to just write down your name, say like, I'm all in. And by the way, like there's, there's spots for like your name and email and phone numbers. Those are all optional. The point is, we're going to look at these white cards on this platform over the next couple days and go, like, how many people are all in? We're just saying, I'm going to fast that people come to faith in Christ over 40 days. And so we kick off the fast in two days. We're going to fast from uh, the 20th of February to the 30th of March. And no one's going to be checking up on you or, like, you know, stuff like that. But it's just a time for you before the Lord to fast and dedicate time to pray for your friends, your family, um, your neighbors, your coworkers that don't know Christ that God would open up doors of conversation to share the gospel, and then even on our weekend service that people will come and, uh, and receive Christ that weekend as well. So uh, if you're trying to figure out what that is, or if you weren't aware, I wanted to make sure you guys are aware of that. So all these cards up here are, are tied to that fasting. So before you head out, if that's something that you would like to uh, be part of, just take a few minutes to, to fill that out and lay that before the Lord. All right, <laughs> I have right here a Bible. And, uh, you know, we live in a day and age where we have a physical, tangible Bible, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, I also have a Bible on all my electronic devices, so there's ease of access. But there's, there's still something about touching the book, right? There's something about, you know, there's the sound of those pages, you know, when you, when you flip through the pages of a Bible. Uh, highlights, notes, like nothing really replaces holding, touching, feeling, you know, uh, interacting with the written Word of God. I'm so grateful for the digital access that we have and utilize. It's convenient, but there's still something about spending time with this book. Um, but, but I didn't grow up in a home of faith. And so uh, we didn't know Christ. So I wasn't raised going to church, uh, but we had a Bible. I, I remember it was this big green Bible that was just on the shelf in the bookcase with all the other books. And every now and then, I was a pretty curious kid, so I would just go up to the bookcase and pull out books. And every now and then, I would, I'd grab that Bible and pull it out and kind of flip through it, and I, I was just overwhelmed. I'm like, I have no idea what to do with this thing. There's a lot of words I don't know, stories, you know. I just, I just said no, so I, I was curious, looked through it, put it back. But once I came to Christ, I recognized that the Bible wasn't just a, a book, it was the book. And it wasn't just a bunch of, you know, words that were designed for me to have information, but it was actually transformation in between the covers, that, that once I came to Christ, the, the Word of God became living and active and real. And, and as I submitted my life to it, like always putting up a fight though, right? We're always putting up a fight to submit to God. But as I surrendered to God's Word and allowed it, it started having a life-transforming effect on my life. It shaped my life. And so now it's like, you know, I always want to make sure there's a Bible within reach. Uh, we have some in our bookcase, sometimes on the coffee table or next to the bedside, just to grab and, and make sure that we have access to the book. And so I remember the first time I saw a Bible. I remember having a Bible, but I also remember the first time it started to have an effect on my life and shaped me. So a question for you is, when did you first see a Bible? Do you remember? Do you remember when you first saw a Bible and, and started to get your hands on it? When did you first get a hand, your hands on the Bible? And what was it like for you? You know, as you look back over your life and whether, you know, you were raised in church or whether you're like, dude, I just got one in my hands like last week, you know? What, what has the Bible done in your life and how has God used it to shape your life? And is it just a book? 
in your home, in your life that you know, rarely gets touched? Or is it the book that you want to make sure is within arm's reach to grab every day if you can, you know, regularly you know, through the week if you can, just to make sure that you are allowing God to speak to you and shape you? Because we know that the Bible is not an ordinary book. Like You don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to know that. You don't even have to be a person of, of a religious you know, designated uh, trajectory to go, I know the Bible is not an ordinary book. I mean, we're talking about, if you, if you look at all these multiple sources out there that you know, do all their studies, the Bible's the most read book in the world. Like there is over 100 million donated or sold annually. So it's still the most read book in the world. It's the best-selling book in the world. It's the most translated book in the world. Ironically, it's the most stolen book in the world. Right? Thou shalt not steal, right? So there's a lot of hospitals and hotels and things that are, are missing Bibles, which I'm sure the Gideons and others who put them there are perfectly happy with that. It's kind of the point. But ironically, it's the most stolen book as well. And if you look at the way the Bible came together, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in the weeks to come, we're talking about a book that was written over 1,500 years in three languages, right? Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, on three different continents, Asia, Africa, Europe, involved over 40 different writers from various backgrounds, peasants, priests, prophets, kings, and with multiple genres of writing, song, poetry, history, prophecy. And the Bible is accurate archaeologically, geographically, historically, scientifically, and prophetically. And so there's no book like the Bible in its circulation. There's no book like it in its survival. There's been many attempts to eradicate the Bible from human history, and each effort ends up hitting the wall. Like the Bible is an anvil that has worn out a lot of hammers as people have tried to get rid of God's word. And so in the Bible, it has this incredible divine influence and supernatural power in the words. And so today we're kicking off a six-week series called The Book. And really the whole nature of this series is why do we believe the Bible? And this is tied to something I shared as we kicked off the new year. I said our theme word for this whole year is the word devoted. And we're pulling that out of the book of Acts in the Bible, chapter 6, verse 4, where it talks about the disciples being devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so I thought, man, we're going to have to hang out and talk about what does it mean to be devoted to prayer. And we just did that. If you weren't here, you can go back and look online, watch online, and, and get hold of that. And now, in the ministry of the Word, well, let's talk about why we believe the Word in the first place. Because everything we teach is rooted, anchored into the Word of God. So if you don't know that the Bible is the Word of God, if you don't believe that, then a lot of times what is taught from the platforms of churches has no value. Because that's the authority of God. And so here at North, we believe that the Bible is the divine, inspired, accurate, and unchanging Word of God, given by Him to provide us truth, authority, wisdom, and guidance in all matters of faith and life. And so many of you would say that you believe the Bible, that it's God's Word, that it's God's truth given to us, but could you give a reason as to why you believe the Bible? So you're having coffee with a friend. You're having friends over for a meal. You're hanging out with a coworker, whatever it is, and someone knows that you're a believer, a follower of Christ. They know that you believe the Bible. They said, tell me why you believe the Bible. What would you say? And you've got to bring more to the table than just, well, God said it, I believe it, done. Moving on. You've got to have more substance than that. You have to have more reason than that. You've got to be more than just, well, I just have faith. Like, like other religions and other religious leaders can say the same similar types of things, right? Well, I just have faith. Well, it changed my life or whatever. So, so what kind of substance can you give to back up why you believe the Bible is actually the word of God? And some of you might be asking yourself, well, why do I believe the Bible? Or maybe you don't know Christ yet and you're thinking to yourself, why should I believe the Bible? Like, you guys are always talking about the Bible. Like, why should I even consider believing in this book? And that's more along the lines of what's trending today. Because the book with all the answers has become the question. And the people who don't know Christ or who have church hurt or they're struggling with different aspects of life and, and is there a God, all of that, that's the question that their mind comes to with the Bible. And so all these people in your life that don't know the Lord, they're thinking like, can I take the Bible seriously? Can I take the Bible literally? Can uh, I trust the Bible? Is it trustworthy? Hasn't the Bible been changed? Hasn't the Bible been proven wrong? Hasn't the Bible uh, been you know, verified that's full of contradictions? These are the things that are swirling. And a lot of us have wrestled with those same questions at times. 
You know, each year the American Bible Association puts out something called the State of the Bible Report. It summarizes a deep dive on Bible research and trends. And so just one you know, piece of information from the 2023 State of the Bible Report evidences, to no surprise to us, right, fewer people in America are engaging with the Bible, and Scripture engagement is not just increasing, it just continues to be on a downward slide. And so this is the, what research is continuing to show us about Scripture. And it doesn't help. And this, this is really a, a, a strong caution for us. It doesn't help that there's an increasing amount of biblical illiteracy. That's, a, that's such a, uh, like an icky word, isn't it? Like biblical illiteracy in the church. Christians who don't read, memorize, pray, or study the Bibles. Don't bring them to church to crack them open. Don't crack them open at their homes. And this is leading to an unprepared, malnourished, scripturally shallow, and theologically vulnerable church. And so the churches now in 2024 have a lot more Bible-less Christians, people who profess a faith in Jesus, but they actually don't crack the Bibles open. Or a Bible-ish Christian who professes a faith in Jesus, but rarely open the Bible, or they consider the Bible kind of a starting point, but you can customize it all you want based on your personal ideology or preference. So it's kind of Bible-ish, right? That's what's happening in the churches around America especially, but around the world. So we need to know the Word of God, but we also need to know why we believe it is the Word of God. And some of you are like, well, we've got to defend the Bible. Well, I love a quote from Charles Spurgeon, well-known theologian, 19th century preacher. He told a story in a sermon about a Bible, about the Bible. He said this, he said, suppose a number of persons were to take it into their heads that they were to defend a lion, a full-grown king of the beast. There he is in the cage, and here comes all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I should suggest to them, if they would not object and feel that it was humbling to them, that they should kindly stand back and open the door and let the lion out. I believe that there would be the best way of defending the lion, for he would take care of himself. And I love that analogy that, you know, the word of God is like a lion. Like we, want, we feel like we need to defend it, and we need to be prepared to explain why we believe the Bible and defend some of the criticisms of the Bible. But the Bible doesn't need us to defend it. God doesn't need us to defend his word. It's done plenty fine before we ever showed up in this planet, right? Like before you were born, before you were born God had it covered. And once we die, if Jesus doesn't come back before we die, God's still going to have it covered. And so we just need to let the word out and it'll take care of itself. But I do want to provide a tool, and this is going to be the framework for our teaching series over the next five weeks, starting today, it'll be week six. I want to provide a tool or a guide that can help us personally know why we believe the Bible. Also, it can be a communication tool to help explain to others why we believe the Bible is God's word. And we talk about the shape of the Bible, S-H-A-P-E. And so we believe the Bible because of its supernatural, S, historical, H, archaeological, A, prophetic, P, and eyewitness, E, evidence. That's the shape of the Bible. And that SHAKE acronym is a good tool to help us remember why we believe the Bible. And so each week in the next five weeks, we're going to take one of those letters and unpack that. So next week, we're going to talk about why we believe there's the supernatural evidence of the Bible. The week after that, we're going to look at the historical evidence and so on and so forth. And uh, that'll lay a foundation for that. Now, for, if you've been with us, you're like, bro, you, you just went through the prayer acronym, like PRAY, last series. Now you're giving us the SHAPE acronym. Trust me, not all sermon series are going to be formed into an acronym, okay? I'm not going to acronym you to death. This happens to be we're back-to-back acronyms. PRAY, PRAISE, REPENT, ASK, YIELD. Helps me, helps others. This one I have found, and by the way, just a little back history on this. Um, this, this acronym kind of just bubbled up during my study a handful of years ago as I was studying one message on how to just kind of believe in the Bible. And th- I found that this was very sticky and a lot of people grabbed a hold of it and it helped them. And so I thought, well, let's, let's turn this into a sermon series. And so that's the nature of what we're going through today. Now, the big idea I want us to focus on today is this. Understanding the shape of the Bible helps give us confidence in God's word and how it shapes us, okay? And I'm going to forewarn you right now, um, (laughs) I I wish we had seatbelts in the chairs because you're going to need them. Uh, I'm probably going to look at my notes more than usual. I have a lot of content. I'm going to be spitting like an auctioneer up here. Um, 
I, I'm going to give you a lot. So I hope you have your journals ready. Some of you take photos of the stuff that gets up there. I'm going to hit you with a lot because I'm laying a foundation. All right? And then, um, then we'll build off of that. So just, just brace yourself. I'm going to be a little fast and furious uh, this morning. And so open up your Bibles. We're going to look at two verses to start our time. It's found in the book of 2 Timothy. So open up your Bibles into the New Testament of the Bible to 2 Timothy. And we're going to be in chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at two verses, verses 16 and 17, and some other support verses that go around that. Now, it should be a short message because it's only two verses, right? I mean, how much can you get out of two verses in God's Word, right? And so we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. What we're about to step into as you're turning there is uh, God is using the Apostle Paul. His story is a whole amazing life of transformation, right? Uh, an enemy of the church, an enemy of Jesus, who God radically transformed and changed, turned him into a missionary preacher, and who wrote scripture through him, right? And so you've got the Apostle Paul now, that under God's influence is now pinning a letter to a young man that he's mentoring in the faith and in leadership, and his name is Timothy. And so he's writing to Timothy, but yet we still see the message that was written was for us. That's how a lot of times we see the Bible. We're not the original audience, right? But what happens is God wrote to certain people, but it's still for us today. And so here we see here these two verses as God is speaking through Paul to Timothy. He says this. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, uh, your word is perfect. It's holy. It's indestructible. Uh, God, thank you so much that you gave us your word. It is, it is a bright, guiding light for these lost, distracted souls. And God, I pray that uh, you would guide my mind, my heart, my mouth, correct me from error. God, it's a, it's a scary thing to handle your word and to speak on your behalf. But God, I pray that you would unite all of us here today, uh, humble us all, and prepare our hearts, our minds, our wills, to be conformed and transformed by what we're about to read and that we can walk it out in a new and fresh way, leaving this building. And so guide us, guard us, teach us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen. let's unpack these two verses. I mean, how much can you get out two verses, right? Here we go. Reading the Bible shapes us. Uh, we are shaped by the Bible first when we know what the Bible is. Like, you gotta know what the Bible is. And we see it in this first part of verse 16. God says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Let's unpack that a little bit. All Scripture. Uh, at this time when Paul wrote, right around 64, 65 A.D., he's primarily thinking about, when he says the word Scripture, the Old Testament Scriptures. The 39 books of the Old Testament that have already been verified and seen as God's Word. That, that's the primary thing that would come to mind for most people who would read or hear the reading of this letter. All that God had done and said through the ancient prophets and the priests in the Old Testament but at the same time, Paul and the other writers of what was going to be called the New Testament were recognizing that God was uniquely bringing forth from them, from the pens of the apostles, right, of his time, also Scripture. So as they were recording the life and ministry of Jesus, as they were recording the events of the early church and the letters being penned by the apostles, they were being seen and considered as Scripture, this was important, not just in how God brought continuity between the Old and New Testament, but especially how the Old Testament scriptures are a key to understanding the gospel and who Messiah, Jesus, is. In fact, there are so many references to God's Messiah in the Old Testament that without it, we would have a hard time understanding who Jesus was in the New Testament. And the Old Testament wouldn't make much sense because if you didn't have Christ, there's a lot of gaps in what you would read in the Old Testament. The ancient theologian Augustine said it beautifully. He said, the New Testament is the old concealed. The Old Testament is the new revealed. And he's speaking about prophecy and fulfillment when he puts those two concepts together. So let me give you a few examples of what we see in that. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, for the scripture, right, there's the word, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So that's a Bible verse, what's the big deal? Well, what we see in 1 Timothy 5.18 is Paul combines a quotation from the Old Testament, an ox, you know, 
um, treading the grain found in Deuteronomy 25.4 with the words of Jesus recorded in the New Testament about the labor and his wages recorded in uh, Luke 10.7. But he called them both Scripture. And so you see a reference that the old and the new were considered being Scripture. Paul wasn't the only one who thought it this way. The Apostle Peter also referred to the emerging writings of the Apostles as Scripture. If we look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, through Peter, God is saying, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. These are some of the things that are in them are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other, what's the next word? Scriptures. So what Peter's basically doing, he's just calling what Paul is writing, Scripture, just like all the other Scriptures. And even Peter himself was very aware that the Holy Spirit was moving through him and the other writers, formulating God's Word. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19-21, through 21, he says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And as you continue to drill down on that, you can realize Peter's thinking about Old Testament, he's thinking about New Testament, it's all seen as Scripture. So all Scripture is so important to understand. And uh, as God was capturing down the thoughts, opinions of the believers. So uh, we see that as tied next to this concept of inspiration. All Scripture is, some translations will say inspired, some will say God-breathed, or maybe a couple other words, but this word inspired is one of the theological words we uh, use in referencing the Scripture. In verse 16 again, all Scripture is breathed out by God. So the word inspired is translated from the Greek theonoustos, which is a compound word of two parts in the original language in the Greek. It's the word God, theos, and the word breathe, neo. So it's God's word literally. It's God breathe. So when we speak of the inspiration of Scripture, we're referring to the process by which God supernaturally directed individuals. Yet, in their own unique context, their own unique abilities, their styles, God used all of that. He didn't strip that out of the picture to produce his word to humanity. So God was the primary author of the Bible. He was the source of all the information, and the writers were the recipients. So therefore, the Bible is a product of God himself and the men that he oversaw in the writing of his word. They were divinely appointed to receive and write. And by the way, this doesn't mean that they were like writing machines uh, God did not dictate, and they're like, God, one more time, can you, can you repeat that? I, yeah, I was distracted. Like, they're not dictating, nor were they, like, did God put them in a trance, and they're like auto-writing something, right? God, through this divine ability process, guided their words, their thoughts, their actions, their stories to write his word through their lives, and yet keep who they were uniquely in place. So therefore, Jeremiah didn't write like, didn't write like Isaiah. John did not write like Paul. But whatever they wrote was what God wanted them to write. And God used their minds and their vocabularies and their context and their experiences to produce his very words. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing when you start to understand the nature of God's word. And so Paul is also not saying, by the way, here, that the people who wrote scripture, when the word inspired used, he didn't say they were inspired like we might use the word. Like, oh, that, that influencer inspires me. Or I, that musician was inspired to write a song. That, that's not what he's saying. He's also not saying the people themselves were inspired, but the writings were inspired. The writings were breathed out by God. Paul captures that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so contrary to what some people have convinced themselves of, uh, the Bible that we have, this book that we hold, is not a book written by humans from the human imagination. It's not full of myths and stories and just ideas. 
or uh, suggestions. It's not just human ideas about God. It is a divine book of God revealing his ideas, his grand story. It calls all people to believe, and God wrote it down. God was in control of what was being written. And so when Scripture speaks, God speaks. But we know not everybody sees it this way. According to a recent Gallup poll, we see a record low. That those Americans that were polled, 20% of them say they think the Bible's literal. There's the literal word of God. The last time they asked that question on a big poll was 2017. Look at the, the major difference. In, it's, it was less than half. And then back in 84. And so it's at an all-time low. And then on top of that, sadly, um, 29% of Americans would say the Bible's a collection of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. So we continue to see this sad decline in people not believing that the Bible's the divine, literal word of God. But the Bible is the foundation of our faith. It's not personal opinions. Our personal opinions, our personal preferences are not the foundation of our faith. That that would be a foundation that's always moving, right? Like day by day almost. God gave us a foundation, something that didn't move. It's his word. And so uh, the world's ideologies, the culture's not the laying of foundation, our own preferences, opinion, God gave it in his word to us. Exclusively, God's breathed out word is our foundation of truth. Um, you know, the one more studies the Bible and becomes familiar with it, the more you, st- you really see the divine inspiration take place. Pastor, author, John Piper said this on the topic. He said, these men's writings do not read like the works of gullible, easily deceived, or deceiving men. Their insights into human nature are profound. Their personal commitment is sober and carefully stated. Their teachings are coherent and do not look like the invention of unstable men. Their moral and spiritual standard is high, and the lives of these men are totally devoted to the truth and to the honor of God. So I say all that to come back to this place that we can be confident in how God divinely orchestrated individuals under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to put together his words and give them to humanity. And so therefore, because the Bible is God-breathed, it carries all truth and authority. Because the Bible is God-breathed, it is inerrant, meaning without error, free from falsehood, free from mistakes. It's entirely true and trustworthy. Because the Bible is God's uh, breath, it is infallible, which means it's true about all matters. It's not misleading, It's a solid, safe, reliable rule and guide for all parts of life. And so, all Scripture comes breathed out by a perfect God. Therefore, it's perfectly without error in the original autographs. And what we hold in our hands right here is an extraordinary copy of what was written down from the originals. And so we can be confident about God's Word. So, the Bible is a gracious revelation from God. And all Scripture is is breathed out by God. So that helps us know what the Bible is. If we know what the Bible is, then we have a better understanding of how to embrace it. Secondly, we're shaped by the Bible <coughs> when, we are, when we know what the Bible does. Not only do we need to know that the Scripture is the inspired Word of God, right? But we need to know what it does. Look again at the back half of verse 16. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. The word profitable there means that all Scripture is useful, it's beneficial, it's advantageous. Scripture is good for God's people. And so we see uh, some of the aspects of that. One, it's good for teaching and instruction. The Bible's true and trustworthy as a guide for teaching doctrine, for how to think rightly about truth. God gave us the Bible as a ministry of instruction to be our only sufficient rule of faith and practice. It teaches us uh, about God. It teaches us the nature of God. It teaches us the character of God. It teaches us the will of God. It teaches us the purpose of God, all the truth of God. Theologian Wayne Gruden wrote, God's words are not simply true in the sense that they conform to some standard of truthfulness outside of God. Rather, they are truth itself. They are the final standard and definition of truth. That's what we see in Scripture. 
And so in Scripture, God is teaching us what is true about himself, what is true about us, what's true about the world we live in. And we know we live in a world that is, you know, constantly drifting away from God's truth. We see in 2 Timothy 4, Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, watch this, when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We can almost put the words opinions in there, right? And will turn away from listening to the, what's the next word? Truth. Wandering off in the midst. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In a world that's doing its best to try to redefine truth, divide truth, dilute truth, do away with truth, the Bible holds fast. So therefore we should hold fast to the Bible. Here's the interesting catch-22 on this. Believing in the Bible doesn't make it true. Disbelieving in the Bible doesn't make it untrue. The Bible stands faithfully true regardless of what we believe. It's just true. And so our belief doesn't make it true. Our unbelief doesn't make it untrue. It just is true. And so we have to conform our lives around God's word. Um, that's why, just kind of a little bit of practical tip here, that's why when you're in a Bible study or you're discussing the Bible with someone or uh, any sort of context where there's a discussion, one of the most dangerous questions when you're in a Bible study is when someone, you read a passage and then the leader, so all you life group leaders and Bible study leaders pay attention, one of the most dangerous questions is you read a text and then you go, what do you think that means? Because what did you just say? You're like, you define truth. You define reality. You give me your perspective of what this says. There's just better ways to say that. Like, we understand the intent of the question, but it's a dangerous question. And we live in a day and age where people go like, well, and they'll just come up with some, like, crazy stories, right? And so, so you just got to go like, no. A better way to ask that is, uh, what is God saying? What is God showing us? What is being revealed? These are the kinds of questions. This taps into some big theological words um, and, you know, hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the overall study of the whole Bible, okay? And then you have exegesis. Exegesis, everyone say the word out. Exegesis is when you draw out what God has put into the text. God has put meaning, he's put direction, instruction into the text, and when you exegete the text, you pull it out. Eisegesis, everyone say in. Eisegesis is when you read your own perspective into the text. So right now, would you say, we live in a world that's more eisegesis or exegesis? What, was your, what would be your guess? Eisegesis. And so what we're doing is we are reinforcing eisegesis when we're in a context. We're like, well, what do you think that means? Well, I'm going to read my pers- perspective and my opinion into the text. I'm going, no, no, no. What did God say? What is God teaching us? And so we try to pull that out of the text. And so the Bible is good for teaching now, just a, a good question you can ask yourself when you're reading the Bible and you're looking for the teaching from God, you can ask yourself this question. What truth does God want me to know from this passage? Like what, what's the truth that God is trying to reveal? That's one good question you can ask us. But the Bible is also good for reproof. We don't really use that word a lot, but basically reproof is another way to say rebuke. We don't use that word a lot and we don't want to use that word a lot, right? It sounds like an icky word, but it's an important word. See, the Bible is useful for showing us where we're wrong. Where we're wrong in our thinking and we're wrong in our behaving and wrong in our believing. And so when God, through his word, points out where we're going wrong, he's trying to point out where we're off track so that we can come under conviction and come under a spirit of repentance and get back on track. And so reproof is, is, is confronting us, is to be confronted by what is true. One pastor said it this way, people do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. That's why a lot of people aren't interested in the Bible. Well, the Bible's full of contradictions. I've had these conversations. Yeah, name one. Well, they're in there. 
What they're basically saying is, well, the Bible is contradicting my lifestyle, my perspective, my beliefs, my ideology, therefore I'm just going to reject it. Oh, that's okay. It doesn't make it untrue because you're rejecting it. And so we see that type of dynamic playing out. Um, One way it was said long ago that imprinted on me was, this book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. I write that in most of my Bibles. This is a good reminder. And so God brings reproof. And on the topic of reproof, if you're reading Scripture and you're looking for reproof, rebuke, confronting, you can ask yourself this. What error in judgment or belief or behavior is this passage confronting in my life? And we all know that feeling when it happens, right? So God's word is good. What does it do? It it reproofs, it corrects. Also, the, the correction word. The meaning of the word correction here is restoring something back to its correct condition, to make it right, to straighten it out. So once God has reproved us, rebuked us, pointed out where the error of our ways, he then uses his word to restore and correct us to make it right. That's the heart of the Father. The Father isn't using his word as like a, a hammer to beat you into the corner to feel ashamed and guilty. Look how bad you are. Look how, you know, you know, God's not going to love you, on and on and on and on. We've all had those thoughts. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not God. Satan is the accuser. He's the liar. He's the deceiver. And he wants to separate you from a loving Heavenly Father. And so when God points out error in our life, it's to bring correction and restoration. Now, correction and restoration might be on the other side of feeling guilt. It might be on the other side of feeling shame for sin in our life. But God has no interest in beating you into the corner to go fetal and feel guilty for days and weeks and months and years. That's not the work of the Lord. That's not the fruit of his word. So he'll bring correction to make it right, to set us back in place, to reset us. That's why he points out. So he points out uh, ways to live godly, to lead us back to the right path, right living, right thinking, right believing. And so if you're reading the scriptures and you're looking for correction, here's a good question you can ask yourself. What correction or realignment is this passage directing me to? That's one way you can engage that. Also, we see that the Bible's good for instruction in righteousness. This instruction is education in right living. It's living in a way that pleases and glorifies God. The original language here on um, instruction in righteousness is tied to the concept of raising up a child. So we want to raise our children the best we can, right? To know the Lord, to love the Lord. Uh, We don't want to raise our children in ways that will hurt them or degrade them or defeat them. We want to raise them up to, to a standard we believe is good for them. So God's word is the same type of instrument. It's instruction in righteousness. He gives us ethical, moral framework for life. He paints a picture of what it looks like to live a life for God. Now, interesting note here, teaching and reproof that we just talked about relates to believing, while correction and training in righteousness relates to uh, behaving. <laughs> And so he brings those together in his word. So God's word gives us the complete package to show us what to believe and how to live it out. If you want to ask yourself a good question on the instruction of righteousness as you read through scripture, you could ask yourself something like this. What does this passage offer me to prepare me for current and future challenges in my life and in my faith? And so we see that scripture is written as the word of God. It's God breathed. Therefore, it's good and necessary for shaping the lives of the people, specifically with the areas of teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Okay, I still got you. I told you I'm going to talk fast. I told you I'm going to throw a lot at you guys. I've got one more point, all right? We also are shaped by the Bible when we know what the Bible produces. We're shaped by the Bible when we know what it is. We're shaped by the Bible when we know what it does. But even more Importantly, we're shaped by the Bible when we see what it produces. Look at verse 17 now, right? Actually, let's put it all together. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the reference here of man of God, this is what context is so important. Who is the recipient? Remember the name? Who is the recipient of the letter? His name was what? Say it like you actually know it. Timothy, right? So Paul is thinking of Timothy in the most immediate context, right? That the man of God, you, Timothy, who's being trained to be a leader, a pastor, (laughs) an elder, um, that you as a man of God, but then we know, again, this applies to all believers, right? Even though Timothy was the most immediate context. 
that we're to be made complete. The word complete there, uh, if, if you can translate that also, proficient. It means that we're able to meet and face life's demands and challenges. God's word produces, if we're in it, and we're obedient to it, and we're being shaped by it, it produces this completion in our lives. That now we're able to better take on life's demands and challenges. Now, um, we're not just complete, right? That's, that's definitely an aspect of maturity in the word, but also we're complete and equipped for every good work. Now, the word equipped here ties to the concept of being resourced and supplied with what is needed. So when you put it together, if we're in God's word, we're allowing it to shape us, we're maturing in the word, we're made complete, able to take on life's challenges, right? And we're equipped, we're resourced by God to do so. That, that's what God's word produces in our lives. Some of you have experienced that. The way you think, the way you dealt with the situation is so different that maybe what was instinctive, maybe what your best thinking produced, and God intercepted it through his word, realigned you, and put you back in a place where you're like, this feels more like I'm complete and equipped and ready for whatever this difficulty is. And so God equips us through his word and resources us with it to give us the knowledge, wisdom, and courage to put it to work. We will just, if we just let the Bible do its work in us, it will. Back to uh, the American Bible Association, and in their 2023 state of the Bible research, they found this. They asked people why they go to the Bible. And they listed some reasons. And the top three reasons people used to go to the Bible were this. One, to be closer to God. Two, to get wisdom for making life's decisions. Complete, equipped for every good work. And three, to receive comfort. And as they continue to you know, marinate in the research, they continue to find that when people let the Bible shape them, complete them, equip them, that they actually flourish better in life. More resilience through the hard stuff, more joy and peace in the hard stuff, but also more purpose and more of a divine calling and a supernatural guide in their life because they start to feel and recognize that God is completing them, maturing them, making them able, and equipping them for life's challenges. And what is the challenge? What's it all for every good work? The Bible is intended to release us to do good in the name of Jesus. God's word helps mature us, train us, equip us to do what is right in the eyes of God. And so when we read the Bible, we're consistent, we're faithful, we let it shape us. We then become equipped and empowered to love and serve God and to love and serve other people, to do good in the name of Jesus. So believers um, are not to simply study God's word just to increase the knowledge only and just to win arguments, but so that what they learn about God will translate into the gospel, that will translate into others loving well. Who cares how much you know if you don't put it to use, right? Put that in your field of training. If you're studying in the medical field, and you learn everything you can, you can answer any test question about the content, but you never help another person in the medical field, what use is it that you know all that information? And so you've got all these Christians storing up knowledge so they can discuss, 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 and then want to just argue, but no one's life is impacted. No one's coming to Christ through their ministry that's informed by all that knowledge. No one's going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that's struggling and suffering. And so we, we have to realize that God gave us his word so that we could be complete and equipped for every what? Good work. Why did God save you? Why did God reach down through the cross and just rescue you? Was it so he could just put a little another hash mark on his heavenly mantle up in heaven? Oh, got another one. Woohoo, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome, right? Was it just so like, hey, I rescued you, now I just want you to sit back in your little spiritual easy chair, just get your little, you know, cozy spot, just, just sit there and just become spiritually obese by just taking in as much as you can? Is that why he, you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about 
you know, the, it's by God's grace that we're saved, right? It's not, a, it's not a product of works. It's by God's grace we're saved. And you go into Ephesians 2.10 to do the works that God's called us to do. So we're not saved by works, but we're saved to do works. That is a biblical theme over and over and over again. And so we have to be equipped to do every good work. And so many people say they're followers of Christ, but they're spiritually malnourished. They're biblically illiterate. They're theologically vulnerable. They're shallow. They're not reading the Bible. Let's not be one of those people. This is a great foundation verse to build on for the weeks to come. By the way, if, if some of you are like, oh, I love this verse. I hope I can remember it. Uh, let me share with you a little mind hack that's been helpful for me. A lot of us in the faith know that John 3.16 is a summary of the gospel. John 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 is a good summary of the scriptures. It's been very helpful for me to go, like, where's that verse about God's word is what? What? That's a good verse. All right. I want to kind of turn a corner with you guys. The world, the flesh, the devil, they want to erode your confidence in God's word. Don't let it. Uh, the scripture's been tested and tested and tested by critics. Try to be disproven. They keep hitting the wall. And their arguments are ineffective. And so you have to be faithful to take God's word for what it is. Now here at North, again, we believe that the Bible, the scriptures, the Old and New Testament, is verbally and completely inerrant in all the original writings and of supreme and final authority in faith and life. That's from our statement of faith. And so as believers in Christ, we see the Bible as the inspired, infallible, authoritative word of God without error in its original writings, a true and fully accurate account of God's purposes for us in all its documents. And what can help us remember that is the shape of the Bible by looking at the supernatural, historical, archaeological, prophetic eyewitness evidence that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. Now, I have a few personal reflection questions for you based on what you just heard. I invite the worship team to come up with me. Here's one question for you. Are the purposes for which God gave his word being fulfilled in your life? When you look at your level of Bible study, Bible intake, Bible exposure, Bible engagement, would you say the purposes for which God gave his word are being fulfilled in your life? Secondly, are you growing in your understanding of the Bible's teaching? Thirdly, is your belief in the Bible helping you love and serve God and love and serve others regularly? Those three questions can be reflected upon as you think about all that I threw at you today. Here's some ideas for next steps and applications that can help you if, if God's working you to do more with what you just heard. Uh, here's some ideas for you. One, memorize the shape tool that I'm about to share over the next few weeks and just use it And um, when you explain why you believe the Bible. You can practice on your parents, you can practice on your kids, you can practice with your friends. And, and try to work that out as we build it out. So memorize the SHAPE acronym and try to utilize it as you are growing in how to explain why you believe the Bible. Secondly, increase and guard your time in God's Word. If I'm the devil, and I just want to jack you up, I just need to get you out of the Bible. I need to distract you, I need to discourage you to not be in the Bible. Like, that's checkmate. If you're not in the Bible, that's just checkmate. Good luck. And so guard that time. Some of you are like, well, I'm not in it. Well, start it and then guard it. And so a lot of you, you know, you heard earlier, we're doing a two-year two Bible reading plan, the whole Bible in two years. And so uh, these booklets are out in the Resource Center. Uh, there's the QR code that you can scan to get the information how to start a little profile. Just jump in. Just jump in where we're at and interact with the Scriptures. Um, sec uh, thirdly, get into a life group and grow, grow in community. If you're not in a life group, if you're not in community discussing God's word, email us at info at northbible.com and we'll help you find a group. But you can only grow to a certain point when you're by yourself. We really need other people to push and challenge. So we grow in community through life groups. And so if you're not in one, get in a life group. Also, prioritize worship gatherings. This time is so critical for us as believers. In, in, in a loving way, if you're watching online, and, and you're just sitting in your chair or couch every week, I'm just going to tell you right now, that's not church. That's not church. You're watching a service, but you're not part of the church in a sense. You're not engaging. Now, if you can't physically be present, that's a different conversation. 
But if it's, this is just ease or laziness or comfortability, that, that's not the best scenario for you. That's not healthy. And so prioritize the gatherings. There's a lot of other people that want to pull you out of here because they know if they pull you out of the worship gathering, it's going to be easier to sway you the wrong directions. Also, if, if you just want to read a supplemental book to kind of, kind of go along with this, there's a book called Why I Trust the Bible by Mounts. Uh, it's, there's a copy of it in the Resource Center. If you want to take a look at it, you can QR code and get it. And maybe this might be all new to you. You might be sitting here going, I don't even believe in God. I don't have a relationship with Christ. We just taught through 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. If you go back one verse, verse 15, here's what we find. And from childhood, you, Timothy, have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The, the Bible is one grand story of brokenness, of restoration, and God created you to be part of that story. He invites you to be part of his story. And so if you want to have that conversation, we'd love to have that conversation with you about what it means to admit you're a sinner, what it means to believe in who Jesus Christ is and what he did on the cross and through his resurrection to secure our forgiveness, our relationship with God, and then commit your life to follow him. We'd love to talk to you about that. And so after the service, we're going to have some prayer partners out on each side of the corner here. They're available to pray with you if you've got prayer needs. They're available for you to say, hey, I'd like to find out more about what it means to follow Jesus. They'll they'll help you take that next step. You can email us if you're online. There's a card next to you and a chair by you. You can fill it out. Say, hey, love to find out more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. We'll get in touch with you. We'd love to follow up with that. I want to thank you for being patient. I went long today. I threw a lot at you, but I think you get it, right? Like this is, this is important stuff. We've got to build a strong foundation. And so thanks for hanging with me today. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's breathed out by you. Thank you that you've given us one story made of a bunch of little books, not a bunch of little books that just each have their own story. God, I pray for all of us right now. All of us probably have areas of growth to start or guard our time with you. Be submissive, be obedient. Try to recognize that the Bible is your word, not customize it to our own preferences. Father, I pray for all of those who need Christ need to bow their head, their heart, their lives to Messiah, Christ Jesus. Give them the courage to take that next step. So Father, do your work in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.